may be seated. So we've been talking in this season of Advent about how this is a time of watching and waiting, a time of preparing to celebrate the birth of Jesus uh, and living in preparation of Christ's promised return, and that our lives are lived in this in-between time. That we are to live with the end in mind, meaning that we are to be honest about the world as it is and holding on to the hope that we have in Jesus that it will not always be this way. That there will come a day when Jesus will return, when God will restore creation to rescue humanity, to bring everything under the reign of Jesus as it was always intended to be. And that as we live in this in-between time, we're not traveling down some road trying to get to God, but that God has prepared a way, that God moves towards us, and that when you and I repent of our need to be gods over our own lives, to dictate the terms by which our lives are constructed, when we demonstrate a desire for God to forgive that sin and every other sin we have committed or will commit, we find that God is not far off in the distance, but that God is present with us always in ways that you and I simply don't recognize. And why don't we recognize it? I mean, throughout Scripture, God is described as being clothed in glory and in splendor. So holy was God's appearance that God prevented humans from being able to see that full glory and splendor because it was so holy that that we would die if we saw the fullness of God. If God's presence is so powerful, why is it so easy to miss? When struggles and hardships come, why is God's presence not more readily apparent? Why is it that one of the natural first questions in times of trial is, God, where are you? We struggle to experience the presence of God when our faith is based more on religion than it is on relationship. One of the realities of the first century was that this question of where is God was likely in the backs of the minds of most faithful Jewish people. Throughout the Old Testament, there was this pattern where God would make a covenant with the people, where God would promise to provide for and protect and to be amongst them. God's presence would be felt by them. But God would also make them accountable and responsible for following God's ways, for giving God glory, for honoring this relationship that God had with humanity. And this would go on for a while, and things would be fine, and then eventually the people would get a little antsy. They would look at the other people around them, and they would see the lives they were living, and they would see what their gods were promising them, and they would kind of want that you know, for themselves. They would want their lives to work out differently than the way that God had laid it out. Those who were in power over them would long for more influence and more land and more wealth. 
And so they would forsake God's commands as leaders and the people would go along with it. And then like any loving parent, God would hold them accountable. And this would go on for a bit and finally the people would relinquish their stubbornness and and turn back to God and, and they would repent. And they would seek forgiveness. They would make atonement and the relationship would be restored. But every time this pattern repeated, it got a little bit worse and a little bit worse and a little bit worse until finally God declares this covenant, this relationship to be irrevocably broken. It wasn't that God's love changed for the people, but the the presence and the provision and the protection that God had offered was being abused. And so God withdrew from this covenant that was no longer working. And then God was silent for 400 years till the first century. Now, during that 400 years, there were wars and insurrections. The nation of Israel would rise and would fall, would find itself under the occupation of foreign powers. And all of this was predictable. All of this had been talked about already. And there was a promise that God would return, that God would restore. And so the people, even though God was silent, would hold out hope. But there would also be a lot of questions. And the way they worked out those questions was through religious practice. A system of sacrifices, of prayers, of offerings. A system of rules and regulations, what you could and couldn't do. Eat and couldn't eat. Say and couldn't say. Go and couldn't go. The religion that had evolved out of their relationship with God, what was part of the covenant that they had once enjoyed But because the sin of the people had broken that relationship, only the religion remained, and it was a shadow of what had been. It was a religion without a relationship. Now, this is not a great analogy, I'll I'll, I'll confess, but it's akin to what we all sort of experienced during covid where everything shifted online and and work and school and contact and with family and and even church was now mediated by technology. And we were all sort of disconnected from one another. And while it provided some version of what we had had before COVID, we all knew it wasn't really the same. And people fell into two different camps. That There would be those who forged ahead with what they could do, trying to make the best of it. And there were also those for whom living in the new normal of in-person disconnection was a burden that was just too much to bear. And they, they really, really struggled with it. Now, like I said, this is not a, a perfect analogy, but it, it is sort of like what had evolved in the first century. There were religious leaders who were trying to make the best of a bad situation. You know, the Pharisees and the religious leaders in the Bible, they get a bad rap in the Gospels. But all of that emerged out of their desire to remain faithful to a God that, that they were not hearing from. And so they, tried, they, they longed for and to some degree believed that God would eventually act. And would restore that relationship. But in their embracing of the new normal they had grown comfortable in. 
and even defensive of that embrace, even arguing that the more they stuck to this religious adherence, the sooner God would return, the sooner God would act. But there were also others who knew something wasn't right, knew deep down that the way things were were not the way things that were supposed to be, and they just couldn't bring themselves to fall into line with the present reality. They struggled under the weight of religion, and they longed for the freedom of relationship. These two groups of people came out to the desert for for very different reasons to hear from John. Some went out to hear him testify about the light of God who was coming into the world to restore this relationship that humanity had broken. They were desperate for good news. They were desperate in the hope that perhaps the time of God's silence was over. Perhaps what God had promised was coming to pass, the restoration of this relationship that humanity was created for. But there were others who went out because this message did not meet their expectations that came from their religious devotion. They were looking for the Christ, for, the, for Elijah, for a prophet, and it did not compute for them that John was none of these and yet still could command a crowd still baptize with authority, still testify that the light was coming into the world and that that life would come in a way that defied their religious expectations. This is the problem with religion without relationship. Because relationships are organic. They ebb and and they flow, they deepen and, and they mature. Laura and I have been married for 13 and a half years. We've been together for 15 and a half. And my relationship with her is not the same as it was when we first met or when we first were married. But let's just imagine for for a second that I took a snapshot of what our relationship was like in that first year of marriage, you know, before kids and before seminary and before ministry and before moving five times in six years and then before coming up here to, to Lake Orion. Imagine I took the, a snapshot of what that relationship was like in the first year and then I imposed it on the next 12. That probably wouldn't go very well for me, would it? Rigidly adhering to the norms that existed in that first year. Having blinders on to anything that might be outside of those norms. Wouldn't work. And that's what religion without relationship does. And that's why the religious leaders of Jesus' day did not recognize the very presence of the one their relationship was built on, or their religion was built on, Standing in their midst. John said, I baptize with water. Someone greater than you, someone greater stands among you whom you don't recognize. The Pharisees and religious leaders, they had religion mastered. They knew the history of their people. They knew the scriptures. They lived pure and devoted lives. But in the critical moment where God in the flesh shows up, their religion was not enough to give them eyes to see that the one who had come to restore the relationship was standing shoulder to shoulder with them. 
watching and waiting, living with the end in mind, experiencing the presence of God coming to you on the path made straight. Religion alone is not enough. God intends for you and I to be in relationship with Jesus and with one another. That's how we fully experience. That's how we fully participate with God in God acting in our lives and in the world. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. There's nothing wrong inherently with religion. Having ritual and specific practices and theology and history, it's all fine and good so long it doesn't become a fixed point upon which you depend. Because that places a burden on you and on others that confines the organic growth, that that stifles the, the maturation and the deepening of the relationship with the one that you have, that the religion is about in the first place. Religion alone is not enough to navigate the storms of life. It forces us to look backward instead of allowing us to move forward. So what does a relationship with God look like? Well, I think it looks like a lot of other relationships. There's joyful exchange in any relationship. There's communication and reciprocity. There's a desire to benefit from and be a benefit to and to do right by the other party in the relationship. And that is what a relationship with God looks like as well. Paul writes in in 1 Thessalonians 5, he says, Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in every situation because this is God's will for you in Christ Jesus. Don't suppress the spirit. Don't brush off spirit-inspired messages like sermons, for example. But examine everything carefully and hang on to what is good. Avoid every kind of evil. Being on the receiving end of God's blessing and rejoicing in those. Having access to God in prayer. Discovering that there can be good in any situation if you look close enough. Being empowered by the spirit that's living inside of you. Learning to hear from God for yourself. Having the strength to resist evil. Those are not the elements of mere religious practice, but the unforced rhythms of a life lived in relationship with God in Christ. They're what the people were longing for over the 400 years of God's silence. They're what are available to us now in Jesus, who came not to renew a religion, but to restore a relationship. And as we come to a close in this Advent season next Sunday, perhaps there can still yet be time to reflect on who God is to you. Is God a God of ritual, of rules, of practices, of theology, of tradition? Or are those secondary? 
And do they flow out of a vibrant and loving relationship with God in Christ? Is your faith more about religion or relationship? Jesus was not born and did not die to merely teach you right beliefs so that you would take the right actions. Jesus came to restore the relationship you have with the God who created you and who is present with you always. Would you rise and pray with me? Lord, it is so easy for us to cling to the tangible, to cling to the physical actions and and the, the thoughts and the behaviors and the patterns and the traditions. And that's fine and good when they flow out of a relationship with you, but when they become the fixed points unto themselves, they are religion without relationship, and that is idolatry that does not please you. And so, Lord, we ask that you would examine our hearts, that you would reveal to us the strongholds that we cling to that, that cause us to think that that's what justifies us by our practice and performance. Lord, and that you would remind us that that is not good news because eventually we cannot sustain that. And Lord, instead, that you would demonstrate to us again and again the steps you've taken to restore a relationship with us, to show us your love, born in a manger, dying on a cross, rising on the third day, ascending into, the, into heaven to intercede on our behalf and pouring out our a spirit on us that comes with a promise that you will return. Lord, let that restore our relationship with you and we would live walking each day in your presence with the knowledge of your provision, protection, purpose, and power. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.